chương trình phát thanh dành cho đồng bào Việt Nam ở xa tổ quốc. Chương trình chương trình phát thanh cho, cho đồng bào Việt Nam. Chương trình chương trình dành cho đồng bào Việt Nam ở xa. Welcome to the Hot Podcast, where Vietnam laughs with the world. I'm your host Nghĩa Mai. How do you run a comedy club, let alone a successful one? In this episode, the co-founder of the award-winning Monkey Barrel Comedy Club in Edinburgh, Scotland, Ben Burt, is going to share with us the trials and tribulations of running a Monkey Barrel, as well as the campaign to survive in the midst of a global pandemic. All the while, we also learn about the experience of our panelist Tu doing English comedy in Vietnam and speculate the possibility of a modern Vietnamese comedy club in the not-so-distant future. Let's go bananas! Hello, welcome to another episode of the Hot Podcast. I am your host, Nghĩa Mai. First of all, well, I'd like to introduce to our panel. Uh, returning to us uh, uh, this week is the mistress of production, Vũ Minh Tu from Saigon. And also making uh, making his uh, day, Hot Pod debut is uh, wannabe Aussie, um, Derek Nguyen. I feel so Asian right now. <laughs> <laughs> Clapping for yourself. <laughs> Um, and also joining us is our special guest for, for this week. He's a uh, stand-up comedian from uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, but he's now based in Dublin. He's written for uh, several shows, including Scott Squad, uh, the Karen Dunbar Show, and he's also the co-founder of the uh, award-winning Monkey Barrel Comedy, also in Edinburgh. Please welcome Ben Bird. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers. This, as, as I said um, before we started, This is the most cosmopolitan bill that I've ever been on. So th- thanks for giving me this global reach. I hopefully will use the platform well. Yeah, um, thank you. Um, we're exceeding our quota for Whitey. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> fine with it. Fine with it. That's great. Uh, yeah, so we're just going to uh, catch up on a few things. So um, how, how are you guys doing? So good far, thing. so good. Mostly breathing. Quality yeah. of air is not guaranteed, but you know, br- breathing. Yeah. Um, uh, so for every for every episode, we have this little rule: uh, is that uh, if you if any of you uh, throughout this recording make made a pun, um, you will have to be, you have to mute, mute yourself for one minute. No pun uh, intended. No, nothing. Okay. Cool. No, nothing. That's kind no of a cool punishment. No, but it's uh, it's, uh, it's life. But but anyway, so um, yeah, we're gonna move to our first segment. Um, it, uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, an idiot's guide to the Monkey Barrel uh, Club that Ben uh, co-founded. Um, yeah, so Ben, can you just uh, give us a? Because you obviously know, know this point quite well. Uh, Monkey Barrel uh, is a comedy club. I was one of the guys that uh, set it up in Edinburgh. And like so many comedy places, like everywhere, I'm like so so many, like all of the comedy places everywhere. They, we've had to close down. And I think yeah. we're in a better position than a lot of other places. Um, because we, we set up a crowdfunding and, you know, we're a quite a small enterprise anyway, but this is a video that we put up to kind of advertise to explain why we were setting up a crowdfunder. And this is Ian, uh, Ian Campbell making an impassioned plea. And when he gets out his phone there, he, uh, he's reading, uh, the insurance company letter that we got back. Uh, the insurance company tried to argue with us that uh, the pandemic was not the reason that Monkey Barrel had to close. Um, and they could find no evidence, no correlation between us having to close and a global disease, uh, running roughshod across, <laughs> across the planet. So this is, this is Ian making an impassioned plea to if people like to support Monkey Barrel, send us some money. That would be perfect. That, and this is, uh, but yeah, like, So, I mean, I don't know what it was like in other countries, but there's, there's certain alleg, you know, like public allegations made, um, when lockdowns first begun, it was asked of the public not to go near pubs and restaurants. Yeah. Which means that as a result, a lot of places, because the public was forbade going into them, would have to, they would, they would have to close, have to close under their own volition, as opposed to the government actually asking places to close down because in the first instance if people just stayed away and you were forced to close then there was no insurance claim it wasn't you know it wasn't anything mandated by by the government asking you to do that and therefore interrupting your business it was mm-hmm. simply a change in societal structure and meant your business was unviable so you were getting part of my expression fuck off um 
So that's what so that's what the insurance company were trying to argue is because Boris yeah. Johnson, the Prime Minister, went on TV and suggested people don't go out and that places should probably think about closing. That meant yeah. legally he was jumping through little hoops to mean that insurance companies didn't have to pay out. Because if they did have to pay out, yeah. uh, there would be zero insurance companies left because of the sheer volume of money that they'd have to put back into society. So this was them saying, you can still, you can technically, if you want, still be open, but you just can't run any shows or have any yeah. performers on stage. Yeah. But if people come and want to come in and wander around your building, turn it into a museum then. How about that? You know, this thing about re-fucking skilling, they're essentially suggesting, why don't you, I don't know, why don't you put up portraits of the mediums for people to come in, walk around, and then leave after they've looked. I Unfortunately, mean, all the pieces are so big, you can just see them from the window on the street anyway. You don't have to come in. So. I mean, comedians are essentially just human beings with mental health issues, so just turn it into a mental health clinic. clinic. Oh, yeah, we could... Uh, well, <laughs> so we, we opened it as a kind of cafe bar. Uh, yeah! You know, the, the, there's not a lot of uptake from the general public, but all the comedians descended on the place, and it became like a comedian's coffee and booze watering hole. And so it eventually became that. It just became a lot of people. Because I was talking about this earlier today on another podcast. Is that there's not just there's not just, when comics are not allowed to go on stage. There's not just a kind of interruption of income and an interruption of uh, you know job. Yeah. There's yeah. an emotional toll to it. Mm. There's there's a bunch of people who suddenly whose very identity is wrapped up with standing in front of a crowd and the crowd judging their ideas. Is that. <laughs> That doesn't go away. That those neuroses, which often come out as jokes or Facebook posts, they need to be shared. So when we opened us at a cafe, just comedians descended on the place. Yeah. And uh it just became crash for anxiety. <laughs> but obviously it was uh in the midst of those of that um campaign to save live comedy that was happening basically across the UK and a bit in Ireland, you know. The, yes. With the hashtag save live comedy. Yes. And that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, just, you know, the difficult, uh, the, uh, difficulty with funding, getting like funding from uh, from, from government for stand comedy in general, particularly in the UK. Yeah, there's. I mean, I can, in a way, I can kind of see their point. They're giving money to things like opera, theatre, because it and th- those those are kind of national or international ideas. It's it's a team of people producing stuff that you could say that's it's a it's a worthwhile commentary on society whilst a lot of comedy is very individualistic is very lowbrow but it's also mass appeal yeah. so whereas theaters if there wasn't a pandemic still might need a lot of funding a lot of times comedy doesn't it's yeah. you know it's, it's big business i think a lot of the underlying argument with why they don't class comedy as an art form didn't want to give any funding to comedy is because they were like, well, you should have saved when you were doing really well, you idiots, you should have saved. And that isn't how comics work. Comics never think about tomorrow. So, so there. I mean, I, I guess most of us don't even think that there is tomorrow. So yeah, I, I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, but we, we did all right. We did okay. We had the crowdfunder and then there was like an epic live monkey barrel fundraising show. All right. Uh, there was there was on the internet, and yeah, so we got the money that we needed to stay open. Now, what does that mean? We're going to need more money at some point. Uh, yeah, I think that's all we. Uh, yeah, we we just need to focus on just being alive. <laughs> you were not convinced by that at all. <laughs> like in your head, you were like, D- "I mean, I, I could focus on being alive. Do I want that? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, am I into this?" Is- this? <laughs> I mean, we are turning quite philosophical. <laughs> um, but yeah, just briefly, like, just uh, can you tell us, like, how, how did you come up with the how did you come up with the idea for the monkey barrel? Um, so it was. So I used to run. I used to run uh, a couple of comedy nights at a pub called the Beehive Inn. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. On, on Grass Market in Edinburgh, and uh, one by one, everybody who made up the monkey barrel team eventually showed up. You know, I so I was starting to run the nights, and then people like John Miller, David Police, Chris Griffin, um, the the host that we have for pretty much every Friday Saturday night show since <coughs> we started, Rick Molland, uh, Ian that you can see here was uh, was one of the guys uh, who was an act as well. We would all hang out, and it was basically it was, a, it was essentially uh, John 
uh, Miller had this had the idea of going. Now I've I've always wanted to open a comedy club, but never had the money. And it was John that went. Well, actually, this is how you can get the money, and this is how we should do it, and this is what we should do. What about it, everybody? And I think we all just went, yeah, that sounds amazing. Let's yeah. do that. And uh, and yeah, so it was just a, it it was. It was, it's actually pretty simple. Like once you know how to run a comedy show, all you need is a couple of lights and a room. And oh, yeah, that's yeah. what we got. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, but I mean, there's probably more to it because everyone had their own little department. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I imagine I think... somebody like Chris, who had to learn how to be a license holder at booze. I bet nice. he was probably put through the ringer because Scottish license, you know, the, the sale of alcohol in Scotland is bizarrely heavy and labyrinthine. Despite the Scots having this reputation for being hardened drinkers, really? So yeah, so it's so it's more remarkable that we are hardened drinkers, considering <laughs> that there's just so many rules you have to take into account. God, when getting your your first probably just like oh we're jumping a lot of hoops here. Let's uh, go wild, boys. Nah, they're uh, they're it's incredibly strict. It's incredible. And wow, even with that strictness, shit. you've still got the highest level of alcoholism in the world. Yeah. I'm just saying, nobody's listening. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's the same with, uh, with Ireland, you know, especially uh, the whole reputation for you know, Irish also being drunk as well. Uh, yeah, well, Ireland, Ireland have got a better, um, I think they've got a more positive attitude to it. Because I remember yeah. when Ireland began closing down before Scotland or, or Britain in general. And I remember that in the weekend leading up to it, there was a lot of people who were deliberately advocating staying away from you know, do this, do this for yeah, your yeah. fellow Dublin person, stay away from the pub. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. loads of people did. And it was great. There was a real positive coming together of people. Whilst in Scotland, everyone went, fuck other people, I'm going to the pub. And if anything, <laughs> fuck you. people who hadn't been to the pub in years deliberately went to the pub. <laughs> that's, that's the difference between Scotland and Ireland. All right, yeah. Chương trình, chương um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, as we, we mentioned, uh, so you mentioned a bit about how to run a comedy club. I think we're going to get back to that uh, a bit later. Um, so we're going to have a special presentation from uh, Du, who's going to talk to us uh, about... Uh, I don't really have a presentation, man, but okay. I just, um, so well, what I want uh, to share is just that being a comedian, <laughs> a local comedian in an English-speaking comedy scene in Vietnam, uh, I have a few things just to share. Um, especially for people who haven't been to Vietnam to know about the situation over here. Is that uh, funny because just now I talked to Mia and I told him that English comedy club here feel like colonial country club. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you're a local and you walk inside there, it, oh, was, just, it was 80% Caucasian, mm. 10% uh, black people. <laughs> which somehow <laughs> make up about 90% of the volume for some reason, I don't know. And then... <laughs> 5% of Singaporean and Malaysian. <laughs> I don't tell them as real Asian because they always have English name. And then... Oh, sorry. <laughs> and then... No, that's De look, Derek is not my real name. Derek is not oh, my okay, real name. Derek is so my white people name. So I could work in a Caucasian environment as as as, as yeah, it's, uh, it's good for employability. Yeah. Uh, that's true. It's true. You did pick the whitest guy name. Oh yeah, Derek. dude. Derek. <laughs> My first flight to Melbourne three and a half years ago. Right, I was sitting um, aisle seat right next to this guy, and it was an eight-hour flight from Bangkok to Melbourne. I sat there and I talked to this guy maybe like like a couple of hours, like of the last um, couple hours of the flight. The last thing he told me was, so what's your name? Because I never got your name. And I'm like, Derek. And he's like, but you're Asian. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, here we go. And I'm like, yes, I'm Asian. Uh, I know also my name's Derek. Uh, good to meet you. Uh, never see you again. So yeah, I, <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I was speaking to you on the phone, I would just be very surprised. Like, oh yeah! Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, imagine like, hi, how are you doing? And he's like, oh yeah, mate, now we're always here. Yeah, 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 Mike, yeah, nah, and then, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I walk and see you like, uh, why are you? Why is the uh, why is the server here? I was talking, Derek. <laughs> you don't, you don't look, Derek, man. You don't, you, you don't. 
you know. And that's it's funny because when Vietnamese speak English, we always sound to somehow more gangster, more gang ho. I guess because we watch a lot of Hollywood movies. Yeah. And then yeah, when we, we speak Vietnamese, we like rap, it's like uh, so soft and like, hey, hey. like really we'll, play into the stereotype <laughs> of, of us. But like when we can get to speak English, be like, hey, no, no, I'm a strong, independent woman. Looking for a relationship and a husband. Gotta, <laughs> gotta, gotta be submissive for the local boys, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta leave, man. Gotta leave, man. Oh, oh. Yeah, is very different from the stuff that you talk on stage, which is uh, the next point because <laughs> when you're working in uh, um, as a comedian. Uh, uh, a local comedian in the English speaking comedy scene over here, the identity game, which is what helped you to, uh, I would say it's like a special thing that you can play into, especially yeah. when your language skill is not that good. Yeah. Like me, like my English is not really good. So I, my stitch is that I have to play into my, um, what do you call that? Like the stereotype the kind of identity people think that I should adopt is that, and then I happen to look kind of okay on stage. So I have to, you know, like put on makeup, act like a very submissive sort of person on stage. And then I can never, it, it's kind of funny because then I develop a new persona for my stage material. Like I exist as two people at the same time. One is a very, you know, open-minded uh, Asian and one is like my real self, which is a uh, otaku <laughs> superhero. I know that word. Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> And but then I can never bring this sort of identity on stage because if mm. I tell it to people on stage, uh, the audience can just never make it out what it really is because in their head that right. sort of identity is less yeah. known. So it's very difficult to uh, have relatable material. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're living like a totally local life over here, and yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's why when I get better in uh, comedy over here is also I realize that I start to uh, adopt a kind of lifestyle that is very foreign compared mm. to what I'm supposed mm. to live as the local Vietnamese. Yeah, so, um, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, it reminds me of a story uh, involving uh, a gig that, that you and I did um, back years ago. Um, so you, uh, you remember, you, so we used to do the show where, you know, you know that one of those shows in Asia where they brought like a, they would bring like a big act from UK and they do like a big headline show. And then you obviously got the, you get all the local acts to support them. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so, you know, it's like, uh, Saigon International Comedy. Uh, I think we did. Um, so we did one. So, uh, so me, so me and Dude did one. And was quite, so when Dude was doing his set, uh, so in that, so in that show, I invited like a couple of friends of mine. Uh, to watch that, to watch it. And obviously, and, you know, and the thing is that we, we were all a part of the same group chat, right? And so when Du well, went up to, to do her set, uh, so I was, uh, I was just sitting at the back and I was checking my phone. I could see on the group chat that my, uh, my friends were shitting on Du. Oh. And it was like, uh, so she would, they were saying something along the line of like, Oh, you know, oh my God, this is a Vietnamese woman. She's talking about fucking white guys. This is a uh, outrageous, unacceptable. You know? So is it like, was it like roasting, like bully, like mate roasting, or is it like full on just, just, you know, yeah, just shame? No, they were very serious. Wow. Oh my God. I feel kind of bad though, because I shit on Asian. Be like, oh, Asian have small dick and everything like that. I'm walking out here. God damn. But, but <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't told them. And you, I mean, you know, like with my Asian vagina, what kind of dick can I handle, right? <laughs> So yeah, let's be real. <laughs> Hold on, just 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 check it. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just my yeah. future wife is not seeing this, and that is it. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, karma is real. Karma is real because, like, uh, my, most of my white boyfriends, majority of them have erectile dysfunction. So I don't know. Mm. That's what I get for bullshitting on my Asian friend's penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's 
I guess I guess it goes both ways for males and females because like yeah. most of my white girlfriends, um, <laughs> they have uh, the ability to uh, think critically. <laughs> I mean, they, they they speak their mind. You know, what I mean, They're... yeah. <laughs> okay, this this is this is that statement just narrowed my dating pool down to white. <laughs> no. yeah. It's, it's amazing that we had. We started off a conversation about, which was a great, a great, great point. The idea of cultural colonial colonialism yeah. has meant that so many artists cannot be their authentic self, and then we've reduced it down to how big or small some dicks are. That's, that's a classic comedy conversation, right? Yeah, thinking oh of God. a really weighty subject, and just went, "Yeah, how do you stick yeah, a nah. dick in it?" Like, <laughs> This is just like this is a very safe space. This is some like some some career ending shit right here. <laughs> I mean, we, nobody's working at the moment. We're all cancelled technically. What yeah, are we are. pretty much like you know yeah. who's got a career. <laughs> oh man! Especially no. there are three Asians on this panel. It's 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 gone. We're done. We we never to look at our parents once again. I've never. Uh, I can't ever look at my penis again. <laughs> Oh man, you hold your penis on such high regards, man. Good man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, that's the only good thing I have. Anyway, I uh, just think. Yeah, I think it's difficult. So uh, I've just, like, I've just got an image of you, like at the end of this recording, and you just look down and you give it a stroke and go, "At least you're still here, old friend." <laughs> <laughs> Don't quit on me. <laughs> I'd be that's sad if you were gone. <laughs> or dysfunction, <laughs> or misfire. Yeah, miss. Oh my god. Okay, okay. Dick jokes aside. Dick jokes aside. But yeah, anyway, yeah. I think, dick uh, jokes aside. I think that's a pun. Oh, <laughs> um, um, and yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. Ben, I think yeah, you made a good point because you like doing gigs in uh, in Ireland, and yeah, I invite some friends over to my show, and you know, one time I did someone. Of them, Said to me, oh, you know, uh, oh, uh, you do the stuff you do is just talk about being Asian, and I'm like, no, I mean, obviously, if you actually listen, read, listen between the lines, you have to listen to the context, which of I never say anything about being Asian. I talk about different stuff, I talk about different, uh, different topics, and obviously, a lot of them are funny, they're well thought out, but you know, it's not just, you know, but yeah, that, that's the thing. Sometimes you, you feel that people tend to reduce you to a stereotype, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're attempting to try and pin to you the blame for their own shortcomings. Uh, I, it's, it is not anywhere in the league that you guys have spoken about just now. Um, but being Scottish, sometimes it, all, all you need in a, in an English comedy club is just to have a Scottish voice. And then all people, it doesn't matter what you're saying, in people's yeah. heads, it'll just be, Shortbread, shortbread, lager, alcohol, shortbread, heroin, transporting, it's called rah, 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 monster. That's all the here. Independence. <laughs> yeah. There's all that. That's, um, and yeah, it's, it's because people make us, I mean, comedy is the only art form where something is instantly judged. Everything yeah. else, people will yeah. wait until the end to go, was there a good resolution? Did I feel something? The moment a comic, a comic needn't even bother with material. They just need to stand on stage for maybe 30 seconds and people will have made the decision where they're going to go with that guy or woman or not. <laughs> and a lot of yeah. it is down to um, yeah. lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. It, yeah, even like, yeah, I mean, like the Irish people, you know, even the Irish comics, you know, they would say the same thing when they do shows at you know, the Ember Fringe or you know, they go to gigs in the rest of the UK. Uh, and obviously they would be marketing, they would market it as Irish comedy. You know, yes. Those, even though there's no such thing as Irish comedy, but you know, they, they would market it as Irish comedy simply because, you know, they think maybe, uh, they will be more well suited to maybe talk to the audience uh, without being condescending, condescending and, you know, they're known for the crack. Or, or there's a market for, cause a lot of these shows, uh, these kind of like packaged Irish, best of Irish, uh, are filled with Americans who feel like they're making connection with uh with going home to the old country yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like living vicariously like there's a there's a um boston on, yeah well there's a thing on so there's a <laughs> there's a irish comedy tour film like a, a tour stand-up comedy thing uh on amazon prime 
Uh, and right. it's like following these four comics as they, as they do Irish comedy, uh, round about a St. Patrick's Day weekend across America. Oh, yeah. Uh, all four of them are American. They're all going, Hey, well, welcome. Yeah. So uh, how's everybody enjoying St. Patty's Day? And it, there is not, you've, you've Googled some Irish songs and you've yeah, played them yeah. as you walk on stage. Yeah. Now you're talking about, uh, what it's like to get Delhi yeah. downtown yeah. Boston. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> You've show. watched a little bit too much of Saoirse Ronan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get it. You watched Brooklyn, the film. You liked yeah, it. You're now yeah. on show Keiko. Now, now, now you start talking a little bit like a pirate, but, you know, whatever. With two legs. With two legs. It does bring up, like, a potential idea for, like, a, a Vietnamese comedy tour uh, in America, uh, which is going to call it the, the BC tour. <laughs> <laughs> BC, Vietnamese, right. comedian, Vietnamese comedian. So. Oh, shit. I was just like, so which side are we going to go on? And then it's BC. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Blockbuster. Gonna... Be so <laughs> well, I guess Might culturally, there's no better time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, thanks, to, thanks so much for, for, thanks so much to do for, for sharing her experiences. Um, so, so I think we're going to move on to our main topic. Um, yeah, and obviously, you know, Ben, you're, you're well suited, uh, your experience in this department. So, uh, so Ben, how do we set up? How do you, how do one set up a comp? How does one set up a comedy club? Well, uh, well, if any of you guys, like, if any of you guys run night, just gigging, just gigging, gigging. Um, do, did you, uh, I uh, I run a storytelling night, not really a comedy. Uh, I um, mean, I I I've I've had the chance to uh, call people up and buzz people off <laughs> when the five minute box hit. Yeah. Just just play people off, just like real loud, just da da da, and people are like let let me finish the joke, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no it reminds me of a uh, top banana. There's, you remember the, the... there's a lot. <laughs> that is actually such a cracking idea. Like if you can get a new material night. Just ring somebody up because, and then just do it when they pick up, just hit them with the, the act. Cause there's yeah. going to be at least two minutes before they, they go, what the fuck is happening here? In which case you got two minutes of material out. You've, and you've got <laughs> presumably a reaction. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you just randomly dial someone in the country and just go, Hey, so, um, what's the deal with flying saucers? That, that, oh, that's a great idea. Uh, oh, that's fucking great. Like put them on speaker. So that's basically like. You know, remote crowd work. Yes, yes. Non got, non-consensual. They are. <laughs> they are not up for it. You have a couple yeah. of minutes to convince them that yeah. to hang yeah. on the line. And all you need is five so, minutes. Yeah. All you need is five, That's it. five minutes. Can That's I have five it. minutes yeah. of your time? I'm a stand-up comic. Here's the routine. So. <laughs> Please do not hang up. I'm a not. I'm not a telemarketer. Uh, this is way too late for telemarketing. Um, and I'm a little bit drunk right now. I'm not working. Trust me. And if they do hang up, it's essentially you've done a gong show. Like that's you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. being gonged off. Gong up, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you mentioned earlier about like uh, how you set up. Um, so if you want to start a comedy club, uh, it's, I mean, the, you, it's, it's like any business. I mean, you might have these kind of big ideas and delusions about art and comedy and romanticism about getting on stage every night. But it's a numbers game. It's a business. So you've got to make sure that everything, you know, like the business functions first and foremost. Yeah. And I guess that was one of the good things about Monkey Barrel is that it was set up by five or six different people and everyone was pretty strong on any given area that would make us success. You know, like okay. you had people who were really good at the booking and the marketing. You had people who were good at the numbers and the accountancy. So having a decent team that take responsibility for one area which will keep your business afloat and allow you to live all your crazy dreams and, until a global disease uh, shows up um, is very important. And I think, that, I think that's one of the main things. And that's one of the good things about Monkey Valley is a team effort, a family fight. Yeah. And there's that core people who set it up and then there's also the strata of like other people who, who work at the bar, who work in the office, mm. who, so, who so what take it, a responsibility. What is it like over life. there in... in like in your situation, like when you first started out, did you guys like start out as like a bar? 
No, it was always it was always going to be a comedy club. Um, right. Edinburgh's not that. So Edinburgh's a capital city. Uh, yeah. But it's not that big a city to be honest. Like it's yeah. it's smaller than Glasgow. You know, places like Manchester, Liverpool, obviously London are obviously bigger. Yeah. Yeah. But Edinburgh, I don't know if it's just a hangover from the festival making that kind of capital of comedy has meant that for quite a small city, there were, there were at one point before Monkey Barrel opened five different comedy clubs, uh, running. There was the stand, uh, there yeah. was Jojo Sutherland, an act, uh, oh, yeah. used to have a club called the Shack on Rose Street. Um, there was a Jonglers and there was a Highlight. They were once one company and then split into two and they both had a thing in time. Uh, and then there was the original version of Monkey Barrel, the Beehive. And one by one, they all kind of fell apart because they were trying to do something, not the stand, but the other places were trying to do weekend comedy yep. where Monkey Barrel tried to focus on doing weekend, but also doing essentially what the stand did, which was what, seven nights a week. So yep. there was, you were cultivating a number of different type of comedy facts. If you like sketch comedy, then this was the place for you. Yeah. If you were a stag party and you wanted to see weekend stuff, that's fine. But if you loved improv, then there was a thing for you as well. Um, and that was, it was, it's about provide, it was about essentially knowing what the audience of your city wants and trying to cater for rather than mm-hmm. you jamming something you want into the space that you think you should go. So it's just like, again, it's the same as any business about the market research that goes along. Um, and because a lot of us were comics and some of us weren't, I think there was already a good deal of experience and market research done by this larger group. But yeah, like again, you can market things all you want, but I think we put on good shows and that's why, and that's why anything survives because it's got its own vibe. Yeah. I think, um, because obviously because I did the common monkey about times, uh, particularly the the new, the new act night, uh, top banana. Um, uh, but yeah, I can definitely see you know, like there were different shows that every night, obviously you have top and new, new material, you have your new acts, um, you have your alternative, more alternative stuff and, and, uh, and sketches, you know, people like the Ember Review using uh, the spaces uh, to do their, yeah. uh, week, uh, weekly shows. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you, you, obviously you gotta have different types, uh, and accommodating, uh, the different genres, the different genres of comp, subgenres of comp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's make sure you've got the brains trust. Make sure you've got the money or know how to get the money. Uh, and make sure that what you're putting out there is decent. You know, there's a lot of people who will set up a comedy night and they will try to save money by putting on just basically it being an open mic. And that's never a good idea because for everyone yeah. who is decent at comedy, there's maybe five, six people who are just now sometimes the worst people who get up on stage at an open mic might in actual fact be the best thing that you see at that show. Because, you know, all of us, I'm sure, put time and effort into the, into the process, into the, the architecture of, of writing comedy. But if we're honest, nothing that we will ever write down or work out in our heads is funnier than just a mental person getting up and screaming for five minutes because an open mic has allowed them to do that. That's. This <laughs> is true. Statement. <laughs> And because it's only five minutes, you get the purest form of that, of that craziness. And that's, that's why it's so, yeah, that's why it's so yeah. beautiful. I mean, yeah. how many, I mean, how many times, uh, yeah, we've been down to, remember, remember there was a gig 4 p.m. at the International Bar in Dublin. I would sometimes go down and. Oh and yeah. The KO, KO comedy. KO comedy. That was, and sometimes the acts would be great. And then sometimes, yeah. wow, it just took your breath away. <laughs> The craziness oh, that yeah. went on there. I mean, there was even a guy called Crazy Al. They didn't yes. hold back. <laughs> I remember that guy. Yeah, I think I said, "Why is he?" Because I saw the list and it said Crazy Al, and I was like, "Why is he called Crazy Al?" I think somebody just went, "Watch." <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, oh. I mean, you, you thought you thought that was, he was just being ironic, calling himself Crazy Al, like we'd be uh, very tame, you know. Like, Sort of yeah. very dry humor, and then he went up, he goes up, and he's talking about fucking Justin Bieber. Yeah, I, he called himself Crazy Al, and then everyone else called him Crazy Al for a completely different set of circumstances, but the name <laughs> was the same for for the whole thing. That's why the name stuck. stuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> meant so much to so many. Yeah, and also another question is the, like how how do you book acts? 
Well, again, because some of us were already comics, we knew pretty much everybody on the circuit, so you know where everybody is in the scheme of, you know, industry standard. You also know who's free or who's not, so you just start reaching out to people. Uh, in terms of, like, booking newer acts, it's about just setting up an email address, advertising on an industry notice board, and then, you know, doing due diligence of trying to find a clip or asking them for a clip of them performing. Yeah. Um, uh, or, you know, you know, trusted vouchers from more established acts. It's just a constant, like, you have to go out and ask questions and see other Because not everybody, like, this is something always very tough for a lot of comics to understand is that some people are just not suited for some clubs. Like, there's just a vibe that you might not gel with in some clubs. And it's not because they're bad or it's just sometimes it just doesn't work. In certain yeah. places. So you do have to, like, there is a kind of very nuanced science. I feel like yeah. that's, that's true. Hey, cause like, I feel like if you were like big enough for people to buy tickets to see you, they want to see you. But yeah. then if you actually try to find comics for the people who come to see it, then you actually have to fit the equation somehow. Yeah. yeah. And there's some, there are certainly some people, I think with the fringe being the kind of the dominant place on the calendar in a, in a year for Canadians is there are some people who will do the best hours show. They'll take an hour of your time and it'll blow you away. But yeah. if you saw them on a bill, a weekend bill, 10 minutes might be too much. It might be a painful experience. So sometimes like just club comp is, is for some people, whilst, you know, a lot of other people can go off and be a show comp, a, a, a fringe performer. Um, and I think it's very important that you try and understand where, where you are or also what you want. Do you want to be a gigging comic? Do you want to be creating full theatrical hour long, hour and a half long presentations? Yeah. So I think, yeah, even like uh, asking for, asking for gigs, it does feel, uh, for, it does feel like, you know, uh, essentially asking for a job, you know, you, uh, obviously, uh, especially in terms of communicating with the booker. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know because I, you know, I heard stories about like you know people really own new acts, uh, like looking for gigs at like one of the more established uh, club, established nights or clubs, and sometimes they just like pretending they try to be funny when they trying to when they communicate. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about a booker is that they are somebody who might have to say no, but do not want to say no. Like they're just somebody who doesn't want to fuck up somebody else's life or hopes or dreams, and. They therefore disconnect themselves quite a lot from the conversation, which means that when acts are approaching them, either email or phone, I think acts sense that. So they overcompensate and just make it quite an awkward experience, you yeah. know, um, through nobody's fault other than it's just two people who want broadly to be positive, but just out of human etiquette. Yeah. For some reason can't be, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, just the clip is just a big, a best indication, a clip, good clip. It's yeah. a best indication of who you are as an act rather than you, you trying to be funny in the moment. Yeah. A, a clip is always the best thing to go with because it's very difficult to fake a clip. Although I did see one guy who had obviously, uh, filmed himself and then filmed like, like, and this is all on his phone. Filmed like, you know, like in, in shows that like cut away to the audience, see the audience laughing. And he'd obviously like gotten off stage, cut away and filmed someone else, someone else's audience laughing. And then he put all of that a laugh track, but every laugh sounded exactly the same. Like it had one sound clip of laugh and he just repeated that all the way through his clip. So it actually seems more like a fucking nightmare from yeah. like a Stephen King film or something. <laughs> uh -huh. Actually, there's every sitcom, sitcom ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Like yeah. any any sketch show which does a sitcom piss take, that's what it was yeah. like, you know. <laughs> yeah. And also, obviously, and besides uh, setting up the club, uh, booking the acts, and you also you're gonna have your your show on the night as well. And so, uh, what 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 goes on a night? Just besides your comics going up and then do their thing. Um, I mean that's when I mean that's when the people who work at the bar or the techs really come into their own. They, they look after the room. So they are the ambassadors. They welcome people in. They seat people. Uh, they take the ticket money. They, they, like, they're the general fun representative. And it's nighttime and there's alcohol and there's people coming in looking to have a good time. So a lot of the time, the staff also feel, feel that kind of party atmosphere. I don't mean anything improper, like they're drinking on the job. That, 
I, I mean, they have the vibe of joining in the party, leading the party, and you know, like it's them. It's their world, and the acts just focus on getting on and off stage yeah. and, and working out where they are on the bill and what's required for them. And then there's that. Then there's that science that goes on, which is the show has begun. The the compare is on stage. They're doing the heavy lifting, working out who's in the room, what the vibe is, where people are from. If you have material, you tailor it to these people. If anyone's a problem, you know, look out for. So there's a lot of watching the audience and working out like what is it? Like what is the what is what is the conversation that you're going to have uh, with this audience? And it's very it keeps you. I mean, that's with lockdown. That's genuinely one of the things that I've missed. It's not necessarily. The act, the validation that happens on stage, because let's be honest, like there's an ego aspect to why we miss it, right? There's a, there's a reason why we're essentially we're pining for this, but it's more about, it's more about before you even deliver the material, the mental uh, agility that you need in order to suss out how to play the game. And I think there's a lot of people whose brains, minds, brains are turning to mush because they can't. Because they can't yell at some stags on a Saturday night. It's so tragic when you think about it. My mental health, like the very growth and support of my mind is dependent on whether like a fucking bunch of 28 stags from Norfolk are kicking kicking off on a Saturday night. Sorry, I just accessed a part of myself, which I haven't felt all pandemic. And I've just went, it's fuck. This is all fuck. Yeah, um, and, you know, obviously, and you know, you have to handle, uh, the, you know, safe and safety, uh, health and safety is quite important. So, um, <laughs> I just bared my soul, man, and you're moving on a chat about health and safety, <laughs> mental health, mental health, mental health, important guys, mental mental health, the sanitizer, just, just sanitize your brain. God damn, that is funny. That is yeah. funny. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, anyway, but yeah, essentially, um, obviously, you know, on a night, uh, you're going to have a few people who are a bit too overly enthusiastic. Yeah. Heck, uh, who think they're part of the show and start, you know, saying stuff. Obviously not malicious, but obviously the situation can deteriorate. Um, yeah. and sometimes the host cannot do anything about it. Like who would step in? Oh, well, we've got a bouncer. I mean, so there's the bar manager who run, the floor walker runs, uh, which is usually Chris Griffin. Um, but we've got a bouncer. For Friday and Saturday night shows, we have a, and sometimes if it's like a bank holiday Sunday vibe, uh, we have a bouncer and it's their job to collar and fling out. And it's never really needed. I think a lot of people can be reasoned with. I've never, I've never encountered somebody so drunk they can't be reasoned. Yeah. But yeah, we would have, uh, if, if someone does, the most, most of the time, it's not about heckling that people are thrown out or, or being drunk. It's, um, People who've decided to take drugs <laughs> in the toilet. Uh, we never, like, obviously that's never encouraged. Obviously it's a complete no-no, but like every now and again, you'll get somebody who's just off the fucking head on coke or something. Cause bizarrely, drugs you can't reason with. It seems. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, we had one time where I'm sure like a guy, guy, like a guy, there was a guy in the front row where there are some tables and, he was obviously coked out of his head. Had lit- I don't think he understood where he was. So he got the coke out and started lining it up on the table in front of Rick, the host. And Rick was just like, what are you doing? And the guy just looked at him and went, sorry, do you want some? And then, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what this is. It's not about politeness. It's hack it up and fuck off. Man. Um, but yeah, we've yeah. got a bounce. So we've got like a, we've got trained, yeah. licensed officials. Yeah. So you got to be, be prepared for any situation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah anything, absolutely. Yeah, anything can go down on a night. Um, yeah, and obviously, um, and you know, because uh, like the Monkey Barrel and all, all other venues like the Stan uh, and many other comedy clubs around the world, they're, they're closed now. And so, um, so what is the effect of like closure on a club? Um, well, it means that a lot of people's income, job, satisfaction, and I guess their very identity. I, I think it's taken to, to now for people to realize how much your job, what you do that motivates you also is wrapped up in your own feeling of self-worth, self-esteem. Yeah. And 
that there's a lot of people there's a lot of good people I, there's, a, there's a lot of attention focused on the comics that I want but there are so many other people the bar staff the office staff techs all that kind of stuff they're they're out of work as well and it's that's that's the human thing behind a comedy club it's not just oh poor comics they're not able to get back on stage because their ego it's yeah there's loads of people who were ne- weren't doing that that's not what their thing was and they are also unable to to work and yeah. there's no at the moment where we are now i don't know when you'll release this but there's no end in sight there's this idea of the magical vaccine coming along in springtime and nobody fucking knows that and also <laughs> we're not going to suddenly all get it within a week and everything's yeah, yeah. fine definitely yeah. it's going to take ages and so there are so many people who have that level of experience uh but also cannot get another job because everything like the thing that they are skilled in is also closed. And there's a lot of worry. There is a real, ironically, it's a comedy club, but there's a lot of sadness and worry that goes yeah. along with it no. at the moment. And yeah. I feel, and every one of those people is a friend. Of uh, and so I, I feel for them. There's nothing can really be done. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, but yes, um, we have a, as a clim- so a glimmer of hope. So let's move on to a final question. Uh, obviously, we've learned that how comedy clubs form, operate. Um, so, so this is a question for like the panel and beginning. You can chip in then. Um, so, when will we, will we ever see a sort of like a modern comedy club, stand-up comedy club in Vietnam? Uh, I think if we ever see that, it's gonna have to start as a Vietnamese comedy club first. And then maybe the English speaking uh, division will come in later as the uh, as something that attach itself to it. It cannot just exist by itself, I guess. Yeah. If you're talking about that, like if it's run by local, that's what I mean. And because yeah. nowadays there already been like English speaking community club run by expat, but the problem with that is the the expat come and go, so yeah. Lifespan of the club normally would only last like one or two years max. So that's why we, uh, the scene here usually get built up to a point and then it got, uh, it, it had to go down again as, um, the one who run major club leave the country. So yeah, so far that's, uh, based on my observation. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a strong case for sort of like a bilingual club, you know, it's just, uh, you're going to have. Uh, Vietnamese, which is more obviously going to be more sustainable, and then English. Quite difficult because I feel like majority of Vietnamese, even when they speak English, not all of them have the same type of uh, sense of humor. Um, yeah, I, I feel like yeah, the, I I, th- I think I agree with you guys on this one because the the amount of Vietnamese people like like who actually know about comedy and who is actually doing comedy. We are mostly people who have, you know, experienced, you know, the Western world. Or if you're local, you actually have experienced, you know, expats and, and, and also the Western world from the expats people. Like yeah. they, they yeah. brought yeah. it over stuff like that. And the Western world, so you know, to be fair, you have lots of other, you know, cultures of maybe slangs or whatever. Um, yeah. And. The content's going to be different. The, the culture's going to be different. My swear words, if I'm going to go back to Vietnam to perform, if I'm going to throw the cunt words everywhere, people are going to be just fucking repulsed as shit. Um, things like that. And, and, and I feel like even, like, even to have a club of, like, Vietnamese comics running, um, you know, content materials in Vietnamese, it's, it's also very hard because the, the population is still very young and they're not yeah. very open-minded to like satire to being roasted on stage, yeah. being roasted on front seat, you know, things like that. But I feel mm. like it's may give it a maybe like five years, um, yeah. after p- the pandemic for sure. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we will open it. I don't know. Yeah, why not? Um, because obviously there's a lot of potential, you know, because with uh, Vietnam, yeah, like you say, it's a very young population, but at the same time, it's a young population. Many of them uh, have expendable income. They're, they're willing to maybe spend on a, on, on a night out, maybe watch, uh, try out some, some news. And they're, obviously, they're going to be trying out, they're going to spend that money on, you know, things like stand-up comedy. Hey, I'm going to know, but... <laughs> um, 
but yeah, like it, but also like you said, it's uh, yeah, it's quite difficult uh, to sustain something like that. Like even in you know, like what like Ben said, like in, in Edinburgh, there was you used to be Pie Club. Now now there are two, um, and obviously two are all, all closed. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of it's really like what Ben said depends on market research and finding out what people want and maybe uh, trying to adapt to that. Yeah, there's there's something yeah. to be said about also modest, right? Be like start small. Yeah, and stay small until you absolutely yeah. understand you can get big. Um, the the jonglers and the highlight that I mentioned, uh, they were huge. They were huge, two three hundred seaters, and they were never getting that many people in every Friday and Saturday. Uh, Monkey Barrel is a hundred seats. Um, that's plenty. Like that's yeah. that's plenty. Yeah. And when you can consistently fill that, then move it up by 25 each time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So just, just be realistic with every step that you take. And don't immediately go after the money because yeah. I think we all, I think we all understand yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. zero money in what we do. <laughs> Sustainability is not a thing. We're, uh, we're not vegans. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I think like the the element of culture and and relatability to the ever changing population is very important to like to actually have like a local club, you know, because you know to make people laugh in a such a war ridden country with a bunch of expats is not easy. To satisfy yeah. everyone is not easy. Uh, yeah, just build yeah. the culture, I guess. Build the culture, keep it going. To the point where, I mean, you go out with your friends and you're like, okay, let's go to this club. And you mention the name and people are like, okay, let's go. Um, to that point, then I feel like we would be able to sustain a community of media. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, uh, like what Ben said, you know, just start small. And I think there's something magical just walking into a room, like maybe having like 30, just 30 people, you know, they're all jam packed together. But then and they're generating sounds. Oh, <laughs> what what kind of sound? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, yeah, laughter. So, um, well, it's oh, just, you know, but yeah, it's just like small room, thirty people. But then they 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 generating big laugh, and I think that's better than like any other uh, big opera house. Yeah, yeah. acoustics, guys, acoustic. Plan poetry. Poetry. Oh. No, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, but uh, that's um, I think that's uh, that's all we have for. Uh, for this uh, episode, uh, for, thank you so much to our panel and also to, and especially to our special guest, uh, Ben Bird. Um, sure. Thank you for having Love me. Love your beard. Shit. <laughs> giving us all <laughs> the big you. tips on, um, giving us all the necessary tips on how to operate a comedy club. And hopefully, uh, we will back. We will hopefully will, this will all blow over and then we will be back gigging. And, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Oh, right. Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, right. oh, that's it. That's bye, it. Bye bye. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't hesitate to follow our social media for updates and our cool stuff. See you next time.